At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. God this morning. You know, there's something special that's happening, and I don't know if you recognize it or not, but while we're taking communion, while we're singing these songs, you're experiencing spiritual family, that uh, we get a chance to do these things together. Communion is not an isolated thing. Worshiping God is not a long-ranger event, but it's an opportunity for us to look around us and to recognize that God has not only in Christ given us a Savior, but he has given us brothers and sisters as well. And so as you get ready to take your seat, maybe you just want to greet somebody to your right and to your left. Let them know it's been great worshiping with you this morning. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank God for spiritual family uh, this morning. I so appreciate that we got a chance to take communion together as uh, Pastor Paul and Pastor EJ has expressed, today is a celebration of grace. And we're going to be doing that all throughout uh, this morning. One of the ways to express grace or to define grace is the power of God at work in us to do what we could not do apart from his presence. And I'm grateful for the ways that I have seen the grace of God at work in our church family. Just a couple of things I want to celebrate. One is uh, one of our, our leaders here, pastors here, Greg McDougal. How many thank God for Pastor Greg? Those of you who know him, if you don't know him, Greg heads up one of our, our key ministries here, our special needs ministry, uh, supporting special needs families. And this weekend, our special needs choir was invited to Jimmy John Stadium uh, to sing God Bless America for our minor league baseball team. It was absolutely amazing. And I thank God for that ministry. We'll be sharing some of those photos and video footage uh, this uh, coming up week on our social media feeds. But continue to pray for Pastor Greg and thank God for that key uh, ministry within our midst. I also want to say thank you for your generosity to the church. Some of you have heard about the uh, floods in eastern Kentucky. How many have been following that, praying for folks that are there? I hope you have been because those floods have been massive. Businesses have been uh, destroyed. Homes have been uh, destroyed. But because of your generosity uh, this week, our missions department was able to send over $20,000 in aid as we partner with Christ Fellowship Church there uh, in eastern Kentucky to help to meet the practical and physical and emergency needs of uh, families that are there. So continue to pray. Uh, Just know that, uh, again, because of your generosity, that we're responding and we'll keep you posted in the days to come. I would also ask for you to continue to pray uh, that God would help our church to remain generous. 
steadfast. For some of you, uh, that just may be just being faithful when it's not easy to be faithful. For others, it may mean going above and beyond as God speaks to your heart uh, to do uh, what is special and maybe what others are not able to do. Know this, that God blesses us so that we might be a blessing. So please continue to do the best you can and know that on the other side of your giving, lives are being changed. I also want to remind you uh, of a uh, postcard that's in your bulletin. If you want to pull this out, next week we're going to have a special guest, uh, someone that over the years I've developed a, a friendship with, and I think it's going to be a blessing to our church family. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is going to be with us here for three services. Now, some of you uh, may know his ministry. He's been preaching the Word of God for decades now, is part pastor, part apologist, but a great, great Bible teacher. He's going to be with us next week. And if you're not familiar with this ministry, you're in for a treat. So please make sure you join us, invite a friend as Dr. Lutzer comes next weekend. Well, how many thank God for his word? How many thank God for uh, the word of God? Today, we're going to continue on in a series that we've been in called Divided. And that certainly captures the mood of, of the moment, uh, be it along political lines or gender lines or generational lines or geographical lines. You know, uh, Satan does not want us to be united. And I think in part he doesn't want us to be united because he knows the word of God often better than we do. He knows that the gates of hell should not prevail against the church if we're united, but if we're divided, the scripture says that a house divided against itself shall not what? Stand. We've all heard that statement before. United we stand, but divided we fall. Amen. Thank you for helping me to preach this morning. Uh, but we've heard that statement and that statement simply communicates that where there is unity, there is victory, but where there is division, there is defeat. Satan knows that. And so what he wants to do is to cause there to be division along any lines that he can. And so the subtitle of our series is Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, because I believe that one of the ways that we can stand out in a world that is so divided is through our unity, through our unity in Christ. And this has always been the power of grace at work in the life of those who trust in him. And maybe you're in here today and you're not a Christian and you're suspicious of the whole thing. And maybe part of your suspicion is based off of our fractured uh, relationships, the divisions that you see in here. And I understand that. I sympathize with that. If the same divisions that we see in the world are seen in the church, then what testimony does that give to the power of Christ and his grace? I want to show you a passage before we get to our main uh, passage today. Join me real quickly in uh, John chapter 17. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus. This is his longest prayer. This is him reporting to headquarters before he ascends back to the Father about his mission on earth to be the savior of the world and to uh, birth the church. He is praying for his apostles, but not just his apostles, but all those who would believe in him because of those first followers, their preaching, their written ministry, their testimony. So so in many ways, you and I are included in this prayer. Look at what he says in verse number 20. I do not ask for these alone, 
those that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That includes you and me who have trusted in Christ because of the written ministry of the apostles or because the message that is passed down from one generation to another. Look at what his prayer is, verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Powerful, powerful stuff. This makes unity not just a pragmatic thing, even though it's great to know that where there's unity, there will be victory. This makes unity something more important, and that is the desire of our Savior. How many want to please God? How many have a desire to please God? Amen. Every hand in a building should go up. Well, how do we please God? Well, it's clear. It's by seeing what his desire is in the word and pursuing that. And so when he creates the church, he knows that among his earliest followers, there are zealots, there are those who were former tax collectors, there are those who are from different backgrounds, geographically, socioeconomically, ethnically. He knows he's sending them out into a Gentile world. But just like every parent wants their children to get along, he wants his followers to love one another deeply. But notice what he does. He prays for our unity and he connects it to the credibility of his testimony. He says, listen, if the world's going to believe that the Father sent me, it hinges upon you being able to get along. In other words, an irreconciled church won't be able to preach reconciliation to the world. A divided church that's divided over all these secondary issues can't preach unity to a divided culture. What our culture needs most from us is an example uh, to follow, a model to follow that shows that we can unite in spite of all of the cultural barriers that try to divide us. Verse number 22, he goes on to say, the glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one. Again, he asked for the same thing, oneness, unity of heart, even as we are one, Verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Again, the credibility of our evangelism, I can't say this emphatically enough, hinges upon our unity. But what is the basis of our unity? Notice what he, what he says here. It's our identity. It's the fact that we are of the same uh, family. It's the fact that we are of the same kingdom. Later on, the apostle Paul would say it this way, that we are citizens of heaven. Where is your primary citizenship? Is it in your political party? Is it in your ethnicity? Is it in your geography? Or is it in heaven? Let me give you an example of how this should look. How many like the Olympics? How many follow the Olympics like the Olympics? All right, there's six of you. This is going <laughs> to go perfectly. But, but, but for those of you who tolerate it, just follow along, right? Uh, maybe you have a, a favorite uh, sport. Maybe it is the track and field, or maybe it's swimming, or, or maybe uh, it's uh, basketball, or whatever the case may be. But uh, the U.S. sends over hundreds of athletes 
And all of these athletes come from different parts of the U.S. Are they all from the same state? No, they're from many different states. Are they all men? No, it's men and women. Are they all of the same ethnicity? No, they'll be black and white and Latino and, uh, and, and uh, uh, Arab American. They'll be those from different uh, uh, ethnicities, right? But when they get there, what unites them if they are citizens of the same country? And if they should be so blessed to meddle, when they take that stage, what's going to play? The national anthem of the country that unites us. When they're there, and I think the next summer games are in Paris, when they're there, they are representing the kingdom or the nation from which they have been sent. And so it is with us. We are here, stationed here by God, deployed here by heaven. You have been sent here, but you're part of a bigger kingdom. You're a part of the kingdom of heaven over which Christ is Lord. And if we're part of the same body of Christ, how many know that makes us one and that makes us united in Jesus? Amen? Amen. Our unity has to be based off of our citizenship and not off of the secondary things of this world that tries to divide us. Now, how does that play into our series right now? Well, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that this church, uh, these believers in the ancient city of Corinth struggle like we struggle to maintain unity. And don't we struggle with that in particular in years in which there are tensions socially around us? And, you know, again, political tensions are high. Verse number 10 says this in chapter 1. He says, I appeal to to you, uh, brothers. Notice how he refers to them as brothers. That's a familial term. That's a family term. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Again, his name is the basis of our unity that all of you agree. That's his way of saying be united, be one. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and uh, the same judgment. For it has been uh, reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? That's a question. That's a rhetorical question. We know the answer to the rhetorical question. Let me ask you the question. Is Christ divided? The answer is no. So why are we picking sides and secondary issues as if our primary allegiance or mission has to do with earthly things? They all looked at different leaders, different preachers that they had come before them, and maybe they felt an affinity to them for different reasons. I mean, after all, Paul was richly intelligent. Maybe not that boisterous, and certainly in person he said he wasn't, but he was very intelligent. Apollos, he was a masterful uh, teacher. Uh, Cephas, or Peter, he preached with power on the day of Pentecost. So all of them had different things they were attracted to. But yet there is one Lord. Yet there is one Lord 
Friends, there may be different people who will stand on this stage week after week opening the word of God, but make no mistake about it, there is one leader of the church and his name is Jesus Christ and he is the one who unites us and he's the one that we give all praise, all glory, and all honor to. Amen? Paul wasn't going to play this, this game of division, and, and neither should we. But this is what happens when we allow secondary identities to take primary place in our lives. Instead of primarily being defined by who we are in Christ, we have taken on, again, the identity of social movements in the world. And it's produced illegitimate divisions. Now, there are legitimate divisions. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives us two legitimate reasons to divide. One is false doctrine around essential issues, and the other is unrepentant sin. False doctrine around essential issues is not uh, whether or not our music should be with drums or not with drums. We got different types of music here. If you would have been here about an hour ago, a little bit more, you would have been a part of our classic service. It has a full-blown orchestra and everything. It's beautiful. You come here and people got long hair and guitars and drummers are going at it, right? It's a different type of service. But as long as they're singing about the same Lord, how many know it doesn't make a difference what the preference of music is? It's about the focus of the worship, Amen. That's the way it should roll in every church. But how many churches have been divided over something as silly as music? How many of us have been divided over something as silly as social issues that should unite us? The legitimate unity that we have is that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we are family and we should be fighting for one another instead of against one another. Now, there are essential things to divide over, like the fact that Jesus is Lord. We can't debate that. Somebody comes with a different doctrine, we can't unite over that. Somebody says this isn't the word of God, we can't unite over that. Somebody says there's another way of salvation, we can't unite over that. The great church father Augustine put it this way, in essentials agree, in non-essentials liberty, but in all things charity. We always walk in love, but we can't always agree. But most of the stuff that we divide over is secondary in the eyes of God. Lord, may I keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen? So with that as a backdrop, let's go into how we experience this unity. And it starts in verse number four, as the apostle Paul goes into what's known as his thanksgiving portion of his letter. The way that his letters laid out is he would start with the author who, who was writing it, Paul, an apostle called by God. Then in verse two, the audience, the Christians in the church of Corinth. And then in verse four, he gives this thanksgiving that we're about to read. But what he's driving home through it all is that God has given us everything we need in Christ. That if you want unity, the power to experience unity across ethnicities and geographies and gender and all of those things, political divides, the power to experience unity is in Christ Jesus. And when we take our eyes off of him, we lose. He says in verse number four, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God, there goes that word again, that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched 
in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revelation or for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's driving home is a very important point to those who are wealthy in, in Corinth. It's a wealthy city. I've told you that. It was a port city, a merchant city, a diverse city, but there was a lot of wealth there. But what he wanted them to know is uh, what it meant to be wealthy in the right things, that we are wealthy in the, in the right things. So what he's driving home is that your wealth is not based off of your material possessions that come and go. How many know that the amount in your bank account will fluctuate? How many have experienced the fact that uh, investments go up and down? As a matter of fact, I said a little bit ago that about a month ago, our investment statements came to the house and I told my wife, don't open the envelopes, just throw them in the drawer. We're young enough to ride the wave. She opened the envelopes anyway and said, oh my goodness, what's going on? I said, don't open the envelopes. Right? It goes up and down. The Bible puts it this way, that wealth or riches makes wings and it flies away. We cannot put our ultimate hope or value in this world's possessions. There's a song that we sing at this church that I love, which says, my wealth is in the cross. That ultimately our wealth, our possessions, our, our earthly uh, net worth is not what is most valuable to God. When you stand before God on the day of his return, he is not going to ask you what's your net worth. So be diligent, be faithful, but don't invest the best of your energy in trying to pursue wealth, which is always a temptation. And understand the whole purpose of it all that we have been given wealth or earthly riches so that we can invest it into eternal riches. That ultimately our earthly wealth is so that we can help others to experience the outpouring of his grace. It is the spread of the gospel for which he has allowed us to experience earthly and material blessing. But ultimately your value, ultimately the greatest possession you have is your relationship with him. So when he says to them that in every way you were enriched or made rich, he wants them to know that no matter what your bank account or net worth is, you have not been cheated as long as you have Jesus. It's not a competition over who gets the most toys at the end if you have Christ. How many believe in their heart of hearts you have the most valuable possession ever known to man? How many believe that? Because when you have Christ, peace comes. When you have Christ, joy comes. When you have Christ, hope is present. When you have Christ, you can sing even on a bad day. When you have Christ, you can have confidence even when the world seems against you. When you have Christ, there is a hope and a future. And what price can you put on that? When you have Christ, you have, friends, salvation. And praise God for all of those things. And as the old saying goes, there are certain things money can't buy. And the one thing that we know is that in Christ, all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. 
He says, you've been rich in every way. And he goes on to enumerate in speech and logos in the Greek and knowledge or gnosis in the Greek. He says, listen, there's some spiritual gifts God is giving you. And the Corinthian church struggled with spiritual gifts. They were given these supernatural endowments. You read about it all throughout the the, uh, New Testament that the early church was uh, given these various gifts of speaking in tongues and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophecy and all of these things. But the problem that they had is they used those things for self-promotion instead of submitting those things to the mission of the church. I told you what unites us is our common identity as citizens of heaven and our common mission. What's our common mission? To know him and to make him known. And so even the things that God gives us by way of supernatural endowments, even the wisdom that God gives you, If he gives you wisdom, if he gives you intelligence, if he gives you insight, if he endows you with abilities beyond your own because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit, know that all of those things are not for entertainment purposes or for self-promotion purposes, but for the purposes of the advancement of the kingdom. You also need to know that what Paul is driving home in this text, and he will unpack throughout this uh, letter is that each one of us has a gift. All of you are important. All of you are endowed. All of you have been given the grace of the Spirit because every player plays a role. And our gifts are different. We are different from one another. Not everyone's going to stand up and preach in front of the church and and that's a, that's, a, that's a certain gift, but there are other gifts that are just as important to, to serve, to give, to uh, give wisdom, to help people to discern God's will. God has given each one of us a gift, and we are supposed to use it to the edification of the body for the fulfillment of the mission of Christ. Understand this, that when you come to Christ, You inherit not just a savior, but a family. You get a family, and what is most important, and this is what the early church was being built off of, is that the survival and the health of the early church was more important than the desires and the wants of the individual. Let me teach you a principle really quickly. That one of the things that theologians or scholars or pastors must do when we're trying to interpret and find the meaning of a particular text is to ask the question of first audience. What did this text mean to its original audience? Before I can figure out what it means to us here and now, I have to ask what did it mean to them then and there? In order to do that, you got to do some historical or cultural analysis. You got to ask the question, what was their world like and how is it different than ours? That's an important question as it pertains to unity because our culture is a me-centered culture. We have iPhones and everything is centered around customization. It's all about my wants and my preferences. That was not their world. Their world was a strong group culture in which what was best for the group was preferred or chosen over what the desires of the individual uh, is. Now, based off of the looks you guys are giving me, that's a foreign concept for a lot of us because we've been told, pursue your heart, do you, do what brings you pleasure instead of saying what's best for the family, what's best for the kingdom, what's best for others. Let me give you an example of this. How many saw the blockbuster movie, The Titanic? How many saw that movie? 
All right, now many of you saw that movie. I don't know why some of you are screaming. It's just an illustration. All right, so some of you saw the Titanic. Now, the Titanic, if if you know the storyline, it centers around this main character. Her name is Rose. Now, Rose, the movie starts out with her and her mom. They're boarding this ship, the Titanic, the greatest thing ever made at that time. And they are quickly rushed to first-class accommodations. And then you see them go to a dinner in the main dining room. And it is an elegant elegant, uh, picture there. And they're eating with all the upper crust, all the the first class people and across from Rose is this guy and this guy is the man that she's supposed to be engaged to she's going to be marrying this guy only one problem he is a total jerk in the movie she doesn't want to marry him so why is she uh, scheduled to marry him what we find out later that Rose is dead abandoned the family he squandered all the money all the wealth and the riches and in order for her family to sustain, be socially and economically viable, she has to marry this wealthy guy so that she can maintain what's best for the family. Well, another fly in the ointment, she goes out on the main deck one day and there's this guy who gambled and won a ticket to get on to the ship, right? And he gets onto the ship and he, he captures her heart. He's from the opposite end of the economic spectrum, but he is charming and good looking and he captures her heart and her attention and she falls in love with him, but she got a problem because she is engaged to marry this other guy and the tension becomes, should she follow her heart and do what she desires or should she marry? for the betterment of her family? What's the right answer? Well, in American theaters, in American theaters, there's only one right answer. And, and, and what every American wants to say is what? Do you marry Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever his name is, right? That's, whatever, that's what every American wants to say. But across cultures, And across ages, the answer is simple and clear. Do what's best for the family. And that never even crosses our minds because we've not been wired that way. Folks, I'm using the movie to drive home a bigger point that for many of us, it never crosses our mind to think, what's best for the church before I make this choice? What's best for my spiritual family before I decide which direction I'm going to go in? What's best for the kingdom? What's best for advancing the gospel? I know it's a foreign way of thinking, but this is what Paul is driving home. You have been enriched in every way, giving gifts, but it's not just for you to do you. It's for you to be a blessing to others and to advance the kingdom. Then he drives home another point. Drives home the point that we are safe in the right relationship. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is pointing towards the return of Christ. The Bible takes up this theme throughout the Old Testament called the day of the Lord, the day in which the Lord will return Now, it describes it in two ways. For those who have rejected 
the offer of God's grace and salvation, the day of the Lord is a dreadful day. It's a fearful day. You will stand before him in judgment, not temporal, not five to 10 or 15 to 20 years. No, this is eternal damnation, the wrath that Pastor Paul talked about. But Jesus intervenes on our behalf. He takes the punishment for us. He takes the ill that, that we deserve and he offers us his grace. And as long as we're associated with him, when we stand before the Father, we are kept safe. But if we are not associated with him, when we stand before the Father, we are found guilty and we experience punishment. Now, before you get too bent out of shape about that, understand that every single one of us wants justice. We would never call a judge good who let criminals get off. We all want justice, just not when it comes to us. But God is a just God. And if you want to escape the judgment, if you want to experience life eternal with him, put your faith and trust in Jesus. It is that grace that comes to us by salvation, that grace that we receive by faith and just simply turning the keys of our life over to him saying, Father, I will trust in you and in nothing else for my salvation. That is what keeps us safe. Let me just give you one example, and then we're going to close here. You know, many of you know, I was recently in South Africa. One of the things that uh, is clear when you're there is that you better know the right people, and in particular when you travel the world, if you're going to be kept safe. You know, every village over there has a chief. And what the chief typically does is appoint a headman. A headman is someone who oversees a particular region on behalf of that chief. And while we were there, our team got a chance to meet the chief. And we got a chance to meet the head man. And because we were there as his guests, we had safe passage. We could go wherever we wanted to go. We could minister. We could uh, hold events and gatherings, all because of our association with the chief. But if you come into that village and the chief doesn't want you there and the head man doesn't know who you are, how many know you're in trouble? It's because of the relationship that you had safety. And so it is when we stand before God, not our bank account that's going to earn us salvation, keep us safe. It's not our gifting that's going to keep us safe. It's not our earthly networks that's going to keep us safe, but it is our relationship with Jesus. And so I close by asking, do you have that? Do you have a relationship with the one who loved you so much that he gave up everything so that you might know his goodness and his grace? If you don't today, I invite you, put your trust in him because he loves you with an everlasting love. And when you do, know this, that you'll not just have him, but you'll have a family as well. Everyone stand all over the church. How many thank God for his grace? If you're watching online and today is the day you want to give your life to the Lord, just type the word connect there. If you're in uh, the room, come so that we might pray for you after we finish worshiping him or I'll be in the lobby with others. You can meet us at the connect desk as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we come from different places, but we're all part of the same kingdom, and the same King, Jesus, Lord of all. Our anthem will always be amazing grace. How sweet to sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, thank you for finding us in our sin and brokenness, for giving us hope and life more eternal. I pray that today, those who don't know you will come to know you, and those who do will make you known until all have heard, until Christ returns. And all of God's people said, amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.